0: And now, Deep Thoughts.
1: Wow, that's pretty deep. Deep. deep.
0: Well, hello. It has been a while, but Deep Thoughts is back and going to be bringing you a number of new episodes in the coming weeks. And every one of those episodes will explore one aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schauntz, and we're kicking things off with Helen Thorne. She's the Director of Training and Resources at Biblical Counseling UK. She, was, she formerly worked with the London City Mission and has written Hope in an Anxious World, Six Truths for When Things Feel Overwhelming, Purity is Possible, How to Live Free of the Fantasy Trap, Walking with Domestic Abuse Sufferers. And five things to pray for your city. Prayers that change things for your church, community, and culture. This episode will focus primarily on her brand new book, Mental Health and Your Church, a handbook for biblical care, which comes out March 1st of this year. I was able to get an advance copy, and I'm super grateful for this resource as a pastor, navigating the mental health challenges in my own church, and simply as a human being who loves Jesus and has faced some depression and seasons in my own life, and have loved ones who do as well. So this conversation was so, so helpful for me, and I'm sure it will be for you as well. So now, here's my deep conversation with Helen Thorne. Hi Helen, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Absolute pleasure to be here, thank you.
0: So uh, just before you came on, I did a whole intro where uh, listeners would hear a little bit about you and I I listed off um, the books you've written and honestly, uh, this is the first book, um, the, the mental health book is the first one of yours that I've read, but uh, I'm actually really excited that I've uh, come across you and really looking forward to uh, reading more of your work because on topics of anxiety and domestic abuse, purity and the power of prayer, um, yeah, really fascinating to me, all of those things. And I'm just wondering if you could uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your faith and your ministry and how... how um, how your walk has sort of birthed these uh, incredible books on important topics.
1: Thank you. Uh, Well, all credit to the Lord Jesus, because none of it was part of my plan. I uh, was born and bred in southwest London in England, and I grew up in a family that uh, used to go to church, but didn't go to church when I was a child. Uh, So my parents had me baptized as a baby, uh, and then they stopped going. So I grew up in a house where there were lots of Bibles, but nobody ever read them. Uh, and where there were lots of books about Jesus, but nobody ever looked inside them. Uh, And most of my childhood was very kind of normal in in many ways. There was also a fair amount of pain, uh, a lot of bereavement within the family, and uh, a lot of tough stuff outside the family as well. So by the time I was a teenager, uh, with a lot of pain and no real sense of grounding, life was pretty out of control. So I I struggled with self-harm. I struggled with an eating disorder. Uh, Later, I struggled with anxiety and depression um, uh, and addiction to alcohol. Uh, And things got worse and worse and worse until I uh, went to university and hit my 20s. And some lovely friends said, Helen, I think you're a bit out of control. Uh, Maybe you should go and get some help. Uh, They weren't Christian, uh, but they pointed me to a place where I could get some counselling. And the counsellor encouraged me to have a couple of people walking alongside me. So uh, a couple of Christian friends offered to be my uh, buddies, my my um, people walking alongside me as, as I was recovering. They weren't uh, people that spoke a lot about Jesus, but they did speak a little about him. And so bit by bit, I became slightly intrigued about this man called Jesus and whether he could have some sort of relevance to my life. Uh, and one Christmas, they invited me along for mince pies and carols. And I really like mince pies Uh, and I felt some sort of sense of uh, I probably ought to find out what was driving them. So I went along to church and that is where the Christian walk began. And I guess from what I've said, it's fairly obvious that right from day one, I was aware that Jesus spoke into the messiness of life because mess really was all that I had. And that's meant that throughout my Christian life, little by little, I've been passionate about connecting uh, the riches of scripture to the realities of life. Now, that's taken me uh, down many roads over the years. But most recently, it's meant that I've started working for Biblical Counseling UK. uh, And that is an organisation here in England or or the United Kingdom, which helps churches do pastoral care well uh, and helps individual Christians and Christian communities to be passionate about turning to Jesus in the middle of the complexities of life. I never planned on writing any books um any more than I planned on doing any podcasts uh, but the Lord brings opportunities uh, in my way and uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure uh, to say yes when he nudges
0: I was reading your bio and I saw about London City Mission which I had never really I maybe had heard about it a couple of times but I I looked into it and I was like this is amazing what a what a wonderful uh, ministry I thought maybe it was uh, like um just by the name, like a London city mission, I thought maybe it was sort of, uh, like a homeless shelter or something like that, but it's more about connecting the gospel. Um, like that vision of everybody hearing about Jesus kind of thing in London, but does it have a, Does it have a shelter kind of
1: environment to it too, or no? It has a homeless drop-in centre, so you can go for breakfast and lunch um, and have a shower and things like that. We don't have an overnight. In the UK, we encourage churches to run night shelters over the winter, and so church halls get turned into places where people can come and stay overnight, and London City Mission helps churches do that. Um, uh, So we are a little bit different to the kind of US-Canadian missions, um, but... I suppose the big difference is that rather than the mission doing the mission, the mission partners with churches and encourages the churches to do the mission. Right. So most, most churches would feel probably quite scared about setting up an outreach to people working in the sex industry or a street population. But London City Mission will come alongside them and enable them to do that in partnership with other churches. And therefore, it keeps the focus on the local church, but retaining the expertise of the parachurch.
0: That's phenomenal. Because so often there's like that parachurch church church divide and the parachurch is over here doing these things and the church, like even in our community, it's like, well, there's this parachurch ministry doing it. Like, we're not going to try and reinvent that. So we'll, maybe some of our folks will go and volunteer there and we can support it financially, but they're, they're like these different, I love that integration. It's really, really neat. I would love to hear the story of how you how you came to write this book, Mental Health in the Church. What uh, what birthed that for you? Why did you write that now?
1: My co-author Steve Mitchell and I, uh, who is also my boss, were sitting uh, one day thinking about the struggles that churches can often face when they are walking alongside people with mental health struggles. There are some churches which. Uh, The people, they just want to run away because it's complex and it's hard uh, and we're scared we're going to make something worse. And there are some people that we thought, oh, if if only we could encourage them to take a a baby step towards people and offer them hope and help in the middle of tough times. That would be wonderful. But then we were also aware of a slightly smaller and and yet uh, equally on our mind group of people, group of churches, Where people think that actually all we need is the Bible and actually what's happening in our body doesn't make much difference at all. Mm. Uh, And actually, if we just say the right Bible verse, then people should be able to cope uh, with their anxiety or depression. And we couldn't really find anything UK little easy access out there. Uh, we could find a few big tomes that, you know, would take you a couple of years to read. Uh, but we couldn't find anything that sort of came from a what we hope is a relatively balanced perspective of actually what's happening in our bodies is not immaterial. And we want to be alert to that. But actually, God's word is still sufficient and we want to be confident in him. Mm. And so as that idea grew, we just started talking to a few other people. Uh, and they egged us on. They said, oh, yes, I'd read something like that. Uh, and we were chatting over with a, a publishing company, the Good Book Company, uh, and they were saying they felt that there would be uh, a need for that kind of book because it is such, when well, it feels like such a complicated area in the local church. And so with a, a lot of encouragement from a lot of pastors and church members, we put pen to paper. And like any other writing project, uh, some chapters made it into the final book and some chapters ended up languishing in the bin. Hmm.
0: No, I I totally agree with that assessment. I think on on this side of the pond as well, there's just um, a lack of of resources to that end. And I agree with you. You know, we're 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 pendulum swingers, or we're good at the opposite ditches. <laughs> you know, this idea of um, the Bible alone and just have enough faith. I think of some of the maybe hurtful things, really unhelpful things that have been said. That and I use this term loosely, just over spiritualizing just in the sense of just just have more faith maybe you are not a good enough believer that's why you're struggling which is such a detrimental thing to say or on the other hand it's like you're really struggling in areas of mental health and i don't feel competent i don't know um i'm not sure how jesus like intersects with this you know and so there's just sort of that say nothing uh, and that probably comes from that space of not wanting to say the unhelpful thing or quote a verse that ultimately harms more than helps, you know, um, you know, God will work this for good, you know, it's just, okay, you know, <laughs> okay. And so real, I really appreciate the book um, because um, one of the things I appreciate about it is it does educate. It, it does um, do some of the work of helping people um, get a grasp on on mental illness, mental health issues. Um, So we're going to talk about that, but those are really broad terms. And so for the remainder of the conversation, as we're talking about mental health or or mental illness, kind of broad brush, what are you putting into that bucket? How should we hear that?
1: They are both spectrum terms. And so it's very difficult to give a tight definition of either of those things. And of course, you don't find the term mental health or mental illness in the Bible. So actually, we don't actually use it an awful lot uh, in the Mm -hmm. book. Um, But I suppose in secular terms, what we're looking at is mental health is a state of flourishing, not a state of perfection, of course, not this side of heaven, uh, but a state where we're able to use our gifts in community with a sense of purpose and a sense of well-being, not an overinflated ego, but neither burdened down by a a sense of being worthless or useless or pathetic. It's a state of flourishing. Whereas mental illness is much more when people have a collection of symptoms and signs which are recognised by the medical profession, which will describe uh, a a divergence from that flourishing. It might be something like anxiety. It might be something like depression. It might be a very mild version of that. It might be a very serious version, but it's a state uh, that really reflects the fallenness of this world. The fact that our bodies are broken, the fact that our minds are broken, the fact that our relationships with with God and with others are broken. It's what goes wrong in this fallen world in our minds.
0: And so as you frame it like that, I mean, the Bible really does talk about, uh, it gives a vision for the flourishing life. And it also talks a whole lot about the hardship, the anguish, the pain, the brokenness. You know, I think of the Psalms, I think of Ecclesiastes, I, I think of Job and his entire story. I think of Jesus anguishing in the garden. I think of um, of Romans eight saying, "When you know when we when we don't know how to pray in our weakness, the Spirit intercedes with groanings, you know, too deep for words." And I, I, you think about um, the, the the kind of the way that the Bible speaks into the hardship. It is is it is not void of describing um, many of the challenges people are facing. Um, when it comes to mental illness, what what would you say the Bible, like what does the Bible say about uh, mental illness, and what would be a helpful biblical understanding of it?
1: Oh, it says so much. It might use slightly different vocabulary, but it says so much. That's right. mm-hmm. I think the first thing it, it helps us remember is that mental struggles, uh, mental health struggles, are are a reality in a fallen world. So whether we're looking at um, uh, Job and his despair or uh, David and his psalms of lament or whether we're looking at Elijah lying face down in the mud uh, and needing a raven to come and bring him lunch we know that people are struggling uh, and we know that Christians people of great faith are struggling it's not that the the bit part players in the bible struggle and the men of faith don't um, it's actually they you know that the great heroes of the faith are really struggling I love Philippians uh, well, for a whole host of reasons, but um, I love the fact that Philippians both gives us teaching on how not to be anxious. But Paul also says, can you just do me a favour? Because otherwise I'm going to get more anxious. Uh, And it, it brings together that fact that actually things like anxiety are normal for Christians. There's something we can do about it. There's a place we can go with our anxiety, but they are normal. Well, the fact that Jesus talks about anxiety so much uh, must surely mean that he realises that people struggle. So I think, first of all, it, the Bible helps us know that that mental health struggles are, are out there and real, and we should expect to see them in the church. I think the Bible also gives us an understanding of where those mental health struggles come from. Uh, the world will talk a lot about the the biological model and the and the sort of the more social model. The fact that you know our biology causes our mental health struggles and our experiences cause our mental health struggles. Uh, and and the Bible kind of takes that but builds on it and goes deeper. It, it's real that we've got broken bodies. Ever since Genesis 3, our bodies have been decaying, Uh, and all of us know that in certain regards. I mean, as I hit 50, I discovered my hips were not quite as um, uh, compliant (laughs) as they used to be. Um, uh, And there are many other things that we discover. Our bodies are decaying, and so we shouldn't be surprised that our biochemistry goes astray sometimes. Uh, The Bible is also very clear that since Genesis 3, relationships have been broken, and all of us know that broken relationships cause pain. And for some people, especially if they've experienced the horrors of sexual abuse as a child, uh, domestic abuse as an adult, something of that nature, will know the long-lasting, devastating effects those things can have. And again, the Bible is realistic about that. But of course, it always goes on as well and talks about the idolatry of our heart, which is probably an add-on that you wouldn't see in uh, many secular papers. And that's not to draw a straight line between sin and suffering. I'm not saying that at all. But in the middle of our sufferings, well, often we can turn away from the Lord rather than to him. Often we can believe that he doesn't care rather than the belief that he does. Often we can believe that we are pointless rather than precious children of the living God made in his image and set aside for holiness and, and for mission. And so there's often a lot of turning around we need to do in the middle of our mental health struggles. So it helps us understand. But also, as I'm sure we go on to talk more about later, it gives us Um, a language, a pathway for actually pursuing Christ, turning to Christ in the middle of our struggles. And that means we've got hope. We're not at the mercy of our wayward biochemistry. We're not at the mercy of our painful experiences. They do matter. They do impact us, but they don't define us. And in Christ, there's always hope, especially hope for the new heavens and the new earth, where Mm -hmm. one day anxiety, depression, and all other mental health struggles will be a thing of the past.
0: Oh, that's, that's really helpful. I think that's helpful for, for people who are struggling, um, to hear and, and, and to, to place, um, to place those struggles, those challenges with, how do I, how do I understand that with my faith? Cause there can be this sense, it's very like the psalmist, like, why have you abandoned me? Where are you God? Like, am I Do you care, God? Because I'm struggling here. I thought thought the whole life, I thought the flourishing life was found in you, and here I am broken. Um, Here I am with um, maybe suicidal thoughts, or here I am, I can't get out of bed. Um, how is this life in Christ or how is, you know, and uh, I think what you've said there is really helpful. There's this, this understanding of the the kingdom of God and the making of all things new that is to come. And we are caught in that. it's often called theologically, it's like the already and the not yet. And yes, yes, Jesus um, reconciles and restores and is presently doing that work and that will ultimately come to, you know, culminate in his return. We live in the tension of sin and decay, and hope in Jesus, and Jesus actually meeting us in struggles. And where on where, where we are in that is is something of the muddiness. And so, what how, would you be able to further clarify that? What What do you say to the the Christian who's who's walking with Jesus and going, why do I still feel this way?
1: And I suppose the very simple answer is because the world is still fallen. The world is still broken. And we should expect pain in this life for a whole host of reasons. Uh, The fallenness of the world, the the hardship of being a Christian. um, There are many, many reasons. Anywhere in the New Testament, you will just see pain after hardship, after pain. And obviously there's joy in there too. We know the living Lord, there's still beauty in his world. But in this world, between now and Jesus returning, we should expect there to be a constant mix of good things because God is kind and hard things because Satan is active and our bodies are broken and the world generally, our relationships are broken. And it's very easy, isn't it, to look at those verses like John 10.10 and go, yes, life in all its fullness. And we think life maybe ought to be really easy. And it's very easy to look at those passages like do not be anxious and think well i've just got to stop it and and i mustn't be anxious Mm, mm -hmm. but actually if you look at the whole bible we see that there is joy there is a call to something better but it's in the context of brokenness and therefore we should never be surprised when life hurts and indeed i think actually if you have an open and honest conversation with any brother and sister in christ if you scratch belief the surface there'll be something where they're really struggling and of course some of us struggle uh with our mental health more than others yeah
0: so uh we talked about those ditches a little bit that that tendency to 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 simply spiritualize things and maybe at, at at our worst say just have more faith and you will get better or i'm not sure that the bible says anything on the other in the other ditch and so i just need to um look outside of my faith and outside of my church community exclusively for help and i'm just wondering if you could uh, talk about integration a little bit what what is a rounded integrated common grace uh the some of the stuff that we see uh around us uh some of the uh, psychiatric help or mental health um professionals medications would you maybe just give us a little bit of a framework of how these things might coexist
1: there is a lot of wisdom in the world. Uh, all of our people around us are made in the image of God. And that means that mm-hmm. they have a the capability to be creative and to come up with some good things. Now, they're not God, uh, but we want to be listening to their wisdom because they have spent a lot of centuries observing the human condition and they've observed things well. And that means when people come up with a diagnosis, whilst it is not an explanation of why something's happening, it's usually a really good description of what is happening. And that means it's a shorthand for helping us to understand what's going on in someone's life. Therefore, we want to pay attention to things like diagnoses because they give us a vocabulary. They give us a ballpark understanding of what someone is going through. We also want to listen to uh, doctors that prescribe medication. Now, obviously, medication is not needed in every circumstance, but sometimes medication can be a real uh, gift. It's it's about symptom alleviation. It's about getting through in this broken world. Uh, And I'm sure many of us would be willing to take a painkiller if we are in a lot of pain uh, to alleviate some symptoms. Um, And so why not take some medication to alleviate some other symptoms? They don't take the problems away, but they help you get through. And because we are embodied souls, that's just a slightly fancy way of saying we've got an outer fleshly bit and an inner heart. We do want to pay attention to our bodies and sometimes medication is useful. Also, just generally taking care of our bodies helps. I mean, the Lord tells us to rest. I mean, often in Christian circles, we hear rest and we think, well, we just work ourselves to exhaustion and then collapse for a few minutes. And then when we're ready to get up again, we can. But actually, God calls us to proper rest, to a a day of rest each week. Uh, And that's, um, you know, part of what it means to take care of our bodies. And our bodies will flourish better if we're looking after them. And all the very simple techniques that you can Google, like grounding techniques or breathing techniques, those things are just tapping into the wonderful way that God has made our bodies. And when it comes to talking therapies, whilst there might be some talking therapies, which as Christians we warm to a bit more than others, uh, there is a sense in which talking to someone wise who can listen, who can help us dig deep into our past and work out what's going on, And join the dots between past hurts and present struggles. You know, there's a lot of wisdom there. We don't have to be scared of that. It's not the whole story, but it can be phenomenally helpful to people when they're struggling. And we don't need to be scared of that as Christians. We want to have our brains engaged, but we don't need to be scared. And we can embrace some of the wonderful things the world has to offer us. Yeah,
0: well said. Yeah, I like that. Um, So I'd like to get to uh, how the church can can be a resource, be a help, uh, be a safe haven for people um, struggling with mental illness, mental health challenges. Before we get there, though, I'd just like to paint the picture a little bit more of, of where we're at in society and where many people are at in the local church. Like anecdotally, it feels like anxiety and depression is growing. Um, or more rampant, or, or maybe our focus on it is greater and people are able to attach language to it. I'm not sure. But, but what's your assessment of what people are, in every congregation, um, what a number of people are struggling with and in our society at large? Um, can you paint the picture a little bit? Where are people at? What's going on these days in terms of mental health?
1: Well, approximately one in five people globally will struggle with their mental health. Uh, And that is a significant proportion. And there's no expectation that uh, Christians will have a different statistic to the rest of us. There is a sense in which uh, anxiety and depression certainly has increased over recent years. Now, I'm not up to date with Canadian statistics, I'm afraid, uh, but certainly here in the UK. uh, Before the pandemic, about six percent of us were saying we were feeling anxious in any given uh, week at the height of the COVID pandemic, 66% of us were saying that we had felt anxious in the previous few days. That is a phenomenal rise in anxiety. And I don't know what it's like uh, where you're based, but whilst those numbers are going down here, they're certainly not back down to 6%. We're still seeing a massive increase on where we were a few years ago. And that's partly because we have been through uh, just a huge life experience. Um, it has changed so much about how we do life, how we do relationships, how we've done education. Uh, but it's also partly because we live in a, a world where it, it's just hard to be. It's hard to be grounded. You know, we have a culture where we're constantly questioning who we are. We're sending our messages out that we can be anything we want to be. We can choose anything we want to choose. We're putting pressure on people to to make big life decisions early. We're encouraging people to engage in social media, which is a constant sort of battle against comparing ourselves, a constant information overload, if you like. Mm -hmm. And whilst, of course, some information is good, it's very anxiety-inducing to be uh, deprived of information, an over-information load is actually anxiety-inducing. And so when we've got so much information coming at us, we can't actually process it. It just feels like a tsunami of words, a tsunami of often quite terrifying words. And therefore, both because of the very real experiences that we've had and because of the culture that we're living in, I don't think it's a surprise that anxiety is on the rise.
0: Well, from my own experience, um, being a pastor during COVID was <laughs> an anxiety-inducing and depression riddled experience for me. Um, I had uh, I experienced uh, uh, the loss of my mother during uh, just at the tail end of that as well, and so let's, grief was mixed into there. But I was very yeah not anchored and um, just yeah the amount of of challenges without the joys and sense of you know community uh, that we normally have was challenges rose um, joys, uh, waned. (laughs) Um, and so it's only kind of coming out of that this last summer, I had a sabbatical and was very healing for me. And that was very timely. It just worked well that way. Um, but was able to kind of sort all that through and and realize that a lot of that anxiety and depression was, was not, um, was tied to, um, the circumstances. And I'm thankful for that, but I, but I certainly have a lot of empathy for folks who, um, felt isolation and loneliness and anxiety and depression. And, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, those numbers likewise in Canada certainly haven't shrunk back down to, to where they were before COVID. Um, some of the studies about, um, social media, which you touched on, I'm just showing, you know, I I read a a study about teenage girls and Instagram, which was a very depressing study, just essentially self-worth, just just falls to the ground uh there it's 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 like precisely wired to ruin teenage girls unfortunately and so there's all of and that's just one one scenario but all of that stuff's kind of coming in at us and here we are as the church holding out the hope of the world and um a lot of folks would say well I can't even talk about this stuff at my church there's just it's not it's not in You know, like we talked about, a lot of people in the church, leaders in the church. um, I've been doing some learning about it, but still feel, yeah, not like I'm not a professional when it comes to these things. I'd love to hear you on how a church becomes the kind of community um, lends itself to, grows in, um, wants to be a place that um, supports people well as they as they struggle through issues of anxiety or depression or addiction and, um, even more complicated, um, mental illnesses. Uh, what would be a few, uh, words of wisdom that you would give to churches and, um, and uh, by extension of that, um, Christians in the church who have people in their lives who are facing some of these challenges and, and how we actually, um, support them well.
1: it's a huge question, isn't it? But it's an important question because I think, there's something called the gospel gap uh, that we talk about a fair amount in biblical counseling circles and that is where we acknowledge that the cross of christ dealt with our sins wash them away the past is gone the cross of christ opened up eternal life future is secure we're heading for perfection and it's wonderful but when it comes to well what does the cross of christ say to my anxiety or to my depression or to my bipolar often we start slightly revving in neutral and going well I, I i don't quite know um and we do a quick scurry through the bible uh, and we find the word anxiety and we, it says well do not and often what we come up with is then we'll just a slightly christianized form of well stop it um yeah and and that's not very helpful it's not very rich it's certainly not very deep and actually in the big picture it's a bit of an out of context quotation So I think the first thing to do is to identify that many churches, not all, but many churches will struggle with that gospel gap. What the gospel says to us now isn't just about conversion. It's about living life with Jesus in all aspects. And if God really is loving and his word really is sufficient and he really is Lord, then he's got to have something to say about every aspect of life. And I truly believe he is all of those things. So I think the first thing to do is notice that gap is there. I think the second thing to do is to start reading scripture with that lens of, well, what has God got to say to me, to us in the middle of our struggles? Because it is so much more than stop it. There's a whole world there of metaphor about how God is our rock and our refuge, our shield, our defender, the wing uh, under which we can huddle. He is the one to whom, you know, he's inviting us to run to him for protection, for hope when life is hard. We can start recapturing some of the books of the Bible, some things like lament. I think often in churches, we don't talk a lot about lament. Uh, We talk a lot about joy. We talk a lot about mission. Uh, We talk a lot about perseverance, but actually, no, David lamented. Job lamented. Jeremiah lamented, Jesus lamented. We have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations and we don't look at it very often. In fact, probably quite a few of us can't even find it, Um, but it's there. And there is that sense in which we want to recapture that sense of knowing how to turn to the Lord when life is hard. Because if we can't turn to him, then we're certainly not going to be able to turn to each other because the Lord is way safer um, than other fallible human beings. So actually, Finding that vocabulary for lament, for that calling on the Lord, for pouring out our heart to Him, to pleading with Him to change life, but committing ourselves to following Him even when life is complex. Mm. That can be a great first step. And then trying to work in our churches about creating a culture where it is safe to be broken. Sometimes I talk about the miracle of the church car park. I don't know how big the church car park outside your church is, Um, but it's that sense where. We can leave home on a Sunday morning, absolutely broken, feeling wretched, feeling scared, sobbing with tears, maybe having screamed at somebody in our family. We get to church, we park up, we walk through the door. There's probably someone happy and smiley on the door saying, hello, how are you? Welcome to church. (laughs) And we all just go, hi. Yeah, lovely to see you. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. And there's that sense in which we don't want to tell the person on the door everything. That might get a little bit overwhelming for them. But we want to be able to go into church and be real. We don't leave our problems at the door and come into church and pretend we're okay. We want to bring our problems right into the center of the sermon and the sacraments and go, Lord, I am struggling right now. Please speak to me in the middle of my pain and help me remember wonderful things about you.
0: Yes. That's really helpful. That is so true. Uh, I like that you call it car park. It's it's we just say parking lot here, which sounds just. Sorry,
1: I'm being very British, aren't I? I do apologize. No, you're
0: <laughs> you're. I feel I feel more refined now. That's very. It's always be, it's always better in in British terms. Um, but that's so true, you know. And it is that's a tricky. So you talk about creating that culture, and it is such a tricky thing because people today long for authenticity. And they can sniff out when it's like, "Oh, they're not being real. They that they're putting on a fake." And and sometimes church gets, you know, you get accused of that. Um, you know, there's uh happy happy joy joy, you know, everyone's like, "Yeah, me too. We're all doing great." Um and that certainly does, it smacks of inauthenticity. Um it's authentic for some people, and we usually are singing songs that are reminding ourselves of the joy that we have in the Lord, the true promises of God and His kindness and His goodness. Like, it's not wrong. I think the spectrum, though, um, that Jesus meets us in the spectrum that Jesus gives us—you know—language like lament to say, um, "This is really hard. Um, I can't tie this in a bow today." Um, how? How else would you? Because like you said, we can't all unload on the greeter at church. So what is what? how does the culture get built then in a church that says it's okay not to be okay? Um, it um, You belong here. Um, you're not the only one and, and those kinds of things and actually have um, resources to
1: support. Cultures do change slowly in churches. And so we shouldn't expect a revolution overnight. But there are little things that all of us, whether we are pastors or members, can do. One of the great ways you can help raise the profile of mental health struggles in a church is simply by having books on the bookstore, which are about mental health struggles. And you don't have to use mine. There are plenty of other good ones out there. Um, And just allowing people to go to your bookstore, if you've got one, and allow their eyes to drift onto a topic that they can relate to, just quietly sends a message saying, this church understands that members of the congregation are broken. I think beyond that, if you're someone in church leadership, you can have an opportunity to preach or teach, uh, whether that's on a Sunday morning or in a small group midweek. Just being willing to join the dots between the passage that you've been studying and the application to someone that's struggling with their mental health. Now, we don't want any kind of superficial uh, kind of connections there. We don't want, oh, you're feeling anxious, well, you should pray more. Or you're feeling depressed, well, try and find some joy. Much deeper You know, what what does it mean in your anxiety to have a shepherd who is willing to lead you through these complex things in the middle of your anxiety? What does it mean to have a king who you know is ruling so you can be sure that even if it feels out of control, it's not out of control? That gentle kind of foundational stuff that gets to the heart, the roots of the struggles and doesn't take the struggle away, but helps people reframe. So one thing that I like to encourage people to do occasionally uh, people wake up at two o'clock in the morning feeling uh, panic stricken about something that might be happening the day ahead. But I encourage them to remember and to to visualize the problem that they've got, but to visualize it in the context of sovereign God who is above them, a shepherd who is leading them, a spirit who is indwelling them and a rock and a refuge who is surrounding them and a community that is in there with them. Now, that doesn't take the hard thing away. It doesn't stop an anxious person being anxious, but it reminds people that the anxiety isn't the big thing. God is the big thing. And the anxiety, the struggles are happening in his world, under his lordship, with his help. So kind of dripping in that kind of illustration in a talk can be useful. And then thirdly, I think in terms of culture, I think testimony is so powerful. And not just those testimonies as, I was an addict and now I'm clean. Wonderful though those are, But those testimonies that go, I was anxious and I'm still anxious, but I'm not as anxious as I used to be. I I am depressed, but I am holding on. And this is how I'm persevering because God is good. Now, that can be a bit scary because someone's got to be the person to give up, uh, stand up and give that testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember the first time I did that in my church. um, And as I alluded to earlier, my testimony of becoming a Christian is one of rehab and addiction. And and Anxiety and depression. So, you know, it doesn't make me look good as I was standing up there. And I, I gave a little bit of my testimony of what the Lord was doing. And I sat down and I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to change churches now, aren't I? Everyone now knows what a mess I am. But that service was amazing. It wasn't the service when I was standing up leading the prayers, being all confident that that kind of helped change the church. It was me giving my testimony saying, I'm a mess, but God is good. And that was the service where people came up to me going, Helen, I'm anxious too. Helen, I'm depressed too. Helen, I'm an addict too. Can we work on this together? And that is transformational.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, it does take a lot of vulnerability, uh, there. And yet, oh my goodness, talking about authenticity, your testimony says to so many others struggling in the room, it's I'm safe here. It's okay. You know? And, uh, and you create that safety, and that's that's so powerful. Oh, you gave such a great reframing there too. Of just make our problems go away, but here's how to. Here's a true sense of 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 how to see, you know, being shepherded by God and a sovereign God overall, and all those things. That was powerful. That's really. I'm going to take that away. That's a big takeaway. That's wonderful. Um. I'm wondering, just you know, as you and you you've done that already in a number of ways, but just to follow it up, just two more questions: one about the church, and then one to individuals. Um, what what is your your grand hope for churches as they consider how to care for those with mental health struggles? Like um, maybe just a little bit more robust than what you were saying, or, or that essentially is it. But but what's the hope? How how should churches approach this climate of anxiety and depression, mental health challenges? Um, the church is meant to be a beacon, uh, uh, a place that that offers the gospel um, and, and tangibly lives it out. Uh, what's your hope for churches as they consider how to care well?
1: I think my hope for churches is that they will understand that in Christ, there is always something they can do, but they are not called to do everything. Churches are not hospitals. Uh, They are not therapy centres and there will always be a place for referrals, especially for those that are struggling very deeply and very profoundly. But even with those who are struggling in the depths, there is always something the church can do because God is living and active in everyone's lives. And everyone has the ability to turn to the Lord for hope and help in the middle of their struggles. So I'd love for churches to be talking about mental health struggles, preaching on the hope that Christ brings in the here and now, help them to encourage people to to be open and honest uh, and to recapture lament, to be people that are willing to persevere together, to be willing to share lives together, as Paul uh, says he did with the Thessalonian church to be people who are willing to be practically serving one another, whether that is taking round a meal or helping someone fill in a, a form for the doctors. To be people who are confident that everybody is capable of change. Not everyone is going to move away from their mental health struggles this side of heaven. We will all be struggling with something when Jesus returns or calls us home. But everyone can take a baby step towards trust. Everyone can take a baby step Towards uh, seeing light in the darkness, uh, and encouraging people to do what they can, without burdening them to do what they can't. And
0: mm. the final question, um, just for those struggling, or maybe this is something you can share um, that would help people supporting those who are struggling. But how how would you say the gospel? How is the gospel good news for those who who struggle with their mental health?
1: It's good news because it helps us understand why we're broken it's good news because it gives us a reminder of a god who is with us in our brokenness it's good news because it provides us with a community who can walk alongside us in our brokenness and it's good news because it gives us a framework for change and it gives us a hope of perfection to come and i think that means that in the middle of our mental health struggles often we can believe deep lies We can believe that we're useless. We can believe that everything is out of control. We can believe that we are unloved. We can believe that there is no hope. We can believe that we are alone. And the gospel has something to say on all of those things. It reminds us that as a Christian, we can never face any hardship alone. God is always with us. We can't go from the east or the west or the heights or the depths to get away from him, as Psalm 139 reminds. It reminds us that there is purpose in all things. The pain might be profound but if you remember the story of Joseph, I mean real evil happened to him and he didn't downplay that evil at all but he could see that above that pain were the purposes of God bringing something good. Long term, mysterious at times but actually heading somewhere that was wholesome and and wonderful. We can remember uh, that our Shepherd is going to lead us, giving us times to rest in green pastures, providing for us, protecting us, helping us to persevere. We can remember that the Lord's everlasting arms are underneath us, and we can remember that all of us in Ephesians four language can take off something and put on something as our minds are renewed. And that does not mean taking off uh, depression, putting on happy thoughts, and you know just reading a couple of Bible verses. But it does mean that if we're thinking God doesn't love me, we can catch those thoughts, remind ourselves from scripture, the depth of God's love for us, the fact that he adores us, the fact that we are his precious children. And we can put on the new thought that even though life is hard, I am loved and therefore it is possible to keep going. And the more we can just quietly talk those truths to one another, it doesn't have to be a sermon, it doesn't have to be a big Bible study, we can be sitting in Costa, Starbucks, whatever your coffee shop of choice happens to be, and just remind ourselves that God is good, and little by little, we're able to be strengthened to keep going towards the one day when perfection will be ours.
0: Helen, I'm so glad I came across you. I'm, I'm so thankful for this book that you've uh, co-authored on mental health and the church and really, really grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And now I've got these other books of yours on my list and I'm, I'm going to double back. We might have to do this again. Helen, hopefully you'll be a, a returning guest on Deep Thoughts. Thanks so much for your time.
1: It's been a privilege. Thank you.
0: The book is Mental Health and Your Church, a handbook for biblical care by my guest, Helen Thune, and co-authored by Dr. Steve Midgley. So much wisdom there from Helen that I, I hope helps individuals and churches as you navigate the brokenness in yourself and those you love this side of heaven. Next up on the podcast, I will be talking with Dr. Gary Brashear's about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. Thanks for listening to Deep Thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith. We made it through. We did it With technology
1: and coughs and cats, but we got there. <laughs>